passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And 2020 has hit us all hard over and over and over, some harder than others. But this, to give an analogy that I think Brody would like, is like a pride soccer style kick right to the face of the pro wrestling community. But when I think of what I've learned over this year as the calendar turns over to 2021, when I think of Amanda and the kids, I realize that's exactly what pro wrestling is. It's a community. It's not just a sport. It is a community. When the chips are down, we support each other. We love each other. Men and women from all over the world brought together by this one thing that we love. And tonight we come together again to rage against the dying of the light, to celebrate a great human being whose legacy, I hope, inspires us all to be a little bit better of a person every single day. To appreciate the people we love around us every single day. To appreciate, stop and smell the roses every single sunset, every sunrise, every day. I know I will. Because every day is a gift, every day is special. And every day that I got to spend with Brody, it was just all the more special, and I'm grateful for that. And I love you, brother. And I'll never forget you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Pollock and Waiting, and we are coming at you following the two-hour tribute show tonight on Dynamite for the late John Huber and Way. That was the most difficult two hours uh, I have watched uh, of a of a wrestling show. That was uh, incredibly tough, but also just uh, a wonderful tribute for two hours. Oh yeah. Uh... Highly emotional, um, the entire two hours, but also highly entertaining. It was, I think, exactly like uh, just um, a perfect way to be able to honor the memory of a man and to you know ease the pain uh, his family and, and friends are going through. Uh, everybody just did such a great job. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously very trying for all of these people. It was very evident uh, in, in those performing of the circumstances that they were performing under. And it was, you know, it was a mixture. Like there were storyline elements, like there were people playing th their characters. There was also like on and off, like they would, they would, you know, go into the matches, but then come out of it. And it was just Everyone knew why they were here. I think it was very cathartic for those involved to be able to go out there and perform. Uh, the family was there as well. Like, I, I just thought that this was a wonderful tribute. But, man, it was just so emotional throughout these two hours. I, I had to take several breaks during the show. 
Yeah, yeah, I can understand. It's uh it was um you know, it was the first time we've had to see AEW um go through something like this. And um it it was not just a segment that was dedicated to, to one person, but every segment and um you know, even a main event uh profiling the man's family in particular, it was uh really um uh it it felt incredibly like familial, you know, like uh, not just, of course, like with with uh, John Huber's family, but just the the entire AEW, really the entire wrestling community. I mean, you know, it, it reflected what the online response has been like since Saturday night. Like this felt like what you have been reading, all of the endless tributes and memories. This was it put into a, a two hour wrestling show. That's kind of how it felt like just an extension of the morning people have been going through. Yeah, but you know, obviously, uh, with the means to do it on a much grander scale and in in a, in a much more kind of like wholly encompassing way that you know, um, fans can't really do on their own. Um, to be able to kind of put it all, put all that emotion into like these, this like two hour pro wrestling show, I think was was of great service to you know the entire wrestling community. Yeah, so it was a show that featured five matches, all involving members of the Dark Order going over. I mean, the matches were really secondary to um, kind of the, the the memories, the moments, uh, many, many tributes uh, throughout all of the matches uh, to Brody Lee and, and then a big uh, closing tribute to him at, at the end of the show. So uh, we will go through that. Um, at the end, I think we'll save, uh, go over uh, just any... News and notes. I think obviously this is uh, first and foremost is the show on Wednesday night. So it began at Daly's place, and the entire roster was out on the stage. Uh, production staff, everybody was out there, and Jim Ross opened it with "It's Wednesday," and you know what that means. And that was followed by a ten bell salute, and there was uh, Brody Lee's family. Uh, Right, right out there with, with everybody else as well uh, being there. And uh, Brody Jr., uh, to me, the star of the show. He was there front row in a mask with a tailored suit. And I just I thought he was just the, the, the star of the show. I thought it was so great what they did for uh, Brody Jr. throughout this whole two hours. AEW's latest signing. Negative one, yes. He has signed a contract, and he's a champion for life. Not bad. Not a bad start. Yes. So we had a series of testimonials that aired th- throughout the night. It started with John Moxley, uh, who goes way back with uh, Brody Lee before both got to the WWE and talked about being in, in locker rooms with him, uh, but emphasized how much that he loved being a dad, that wrestling was just a job to him. And he said he thought Brody would appreciate this analogy, that this is like a pride soccer kick right to the gut. He talked about the community that wrestling breeds, and he hopes that Brody's memory inspires everyone to stop and smell the roses. Every day is a gift. And it was a really nice touching speech from John Moxley that was the first of several of these that we got throughout the night. Incredibly, like, tremendous speech from Moxley and I I don't think it's any coincidence that you know pro wrestlers um are 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 so great at being able to convey emotion through words so much more than the average human being um that you know even in in, in a real life situation like this when they're they're not here to 
sell or promote any sort of fight, like they they are able to convey you know that that exact like deep emotion in their mind so effectively on TV, and and Moxley is among you know one of the the best ones, and um, uh, yeah, it, it was it's just a wonderful speech that really gave you a glimpse as to you know about the personal relationship this man had with several of these roster members even if you never really saw them you know participate in, in maybe too many prolonged you know teams or, or or feuds together uh there's just a whole life uh and a whole web of relationships that this man had with so many people yeah, and I, I would imagine that they taped a ton of these. I, I would wonder if they're probably going to post um, other ones that just couldn't fit into the show, because I would imagine that there were lots of these that they had. Sure, yeah. So for the night, it's the regular commentary team with the addition of Chris Jericho, who started it off like completely out of character, just saying tonight is going to be a very tough night, but also a cathartic one, and then kind of just flipped the switch and said... Now, come on, let's have some energy. Let's do this for Brody. And then kind of went into more of the uh, the inner circle leader version of Chris Jericho throughout the show. But, I mean, mixed in with lots of comments about Brody Lee as well. And it kind of, you know, it veered in and out of AEW storylines versus the, the, the real life uh, trauma that everybody is going through this week. Well, in the end, I mean, this pro wrestling is meant for entertainment and i think everybody kind of knows the circumstance here and realizes in the end like in order to to pay tribute to the man you you do what you do best and that's to entertain and so i think jericho on commentary whether or not it was even like intentionally planned for this particular show or if he was just supposed to be there uh to do something i i thought added a good deal of levity to to the situation and you know uh I, at no point did i feel like it was too much for me i mean if, no if, not at all like i thought they much, balanced it, it. Been, you're, you're, it would have been tough way for two hours of just um w- without any any of that like it like people needed some levity on on this show a hundred percent so i thought they they balanced it really well like this was a very easy show in terms of just hey the baby faces are winning the dark order's winning and we're gonna have some fun tonight but it's with extremely heavy hearts i i thought they balanced it wonderfully we should also mention uh, Pro Wrestling Tees. They have a new shirt for Brody Lee for, for this occasion, and um, all proceeds from the shirt are going to Brody Lee's family. Also wanted to mention that CM Punk and Mick Foley have uh, said that all of their January proceeds from their shirts will be going towards Brody Lee's family. So wanted to make mention of that. And the site did crash during the show, so um, that's seems like it's a good sign. Uh, last I checked, it's available right now, so... If you wanted to get a shirt and show your appreciation for this particular show, uh, ProWrestlingTees.com. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful sign that uh, so many people are going uh, to to get that shirt in a great great initiative by Pro Wrestling Tees, CM Punk, Mick Foley, and I'm sure there's going to be many many others um, that will be you know uh, following in in that that same vein. So the first match was the Young Bucks and Colt Cabana against Matt Hardy and Private Party. And this was the first of many times that the Dark Order came out as a unit. Um, they're all fighting back tears. It was uh, very tough, you could see, for them to be g- going through here. Uh, Colt, early on, Colt was just like, oh, man. it was really tough for him. When you think about how far back um, that he must have known him, like th- this was, uh, I-, I imagine this was probably the the toughest 
night for many of these people that, that they've ever wrestled under these circumstances. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. Certainly for Colt, like his most important performance thus far in AEW, maybe, you know, um, th- throughout his his career, even if you if you might ask him tonight, you know. Um, and again, it's like so much of, I think, what the mass audience has seen of, you know, John Huber has been his performance as Luke Harper. And so immediately you don't really think about all the relationships he's had for the years and years and years he spent on the independent wrestling scene or just, you know, elsewhere, but outside of WWE, clearly on this episode, like you got to see a, a, a lot of tribute and a, and a lot of those connections, you know, being displayed. The, the young bucks, like the, like think of like the U S Indies that they would have been on shows together, uh, going to dragon gate, like these, there's a lot of history uh, beyond just, AEW for so many of these uh, performers. So they triple team Mark Quinn, then Cassidy, and then we got a triple drop kick by the Bucks and Cabana taking out Matt Hardy. And Cabana, I thought he shined in this match, uh, hit this acai moonsault to the floor. Uh, they got into the, the in a, into a debate about who has the best sleeper, uh, with Jericho suggesting Mr. Wrestling 2, and then Tony piping in saying Johnny Weaver. Uh, Jericho also brings up the stat that Brody Lee was supposed to debut in his hometown of Rochester on March 18th. And that was, you know, their first week here in Daly's place after the shutdown. They had the heat on Matt Jackson. And then he finally got to his corner after faking out Matt Hardy with a super kick tease and instead hit him with his own twist of fate. Tagging Cabana, who just ran wild, hit a Cabrata, head scissors, the flying apple. And then Cassidy ducks a discus lariat that Colt threw uh, in honor of Brody Lee. Hardy then crotched Quen on the top by mistake. Nick hits the big top rope Hurricane Rana. There's a gin and juice delivered to Nick. And we were just into this uh, furious final sequence. Uh, Swanton to Cassidy. Quen hits the shooting star. You think it's over, but the cover gets broken up. And then in the reference of all references, on this night, Chris Jericho worked in a reference to Boom Boom Jeffrey on of the Montreal Canadiens. Who is not a goalie? Who is not a, was not a goalie. Okay. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, great, great match. Um, you know, any, any like opening, like uh show match featuring, you know, a team like the Bucks, I think is guaranteed to be incredibly hot. This one lived up to that very high standard, but uh, with just an air of the, just, you know, of course, just a, a far more um, significant, um feeling attached to it all and and that certainly goes uh for all the other participants here as well Cole Cabana looked amazing here um it you know all the motion that you know you saw on his face clearly kind of like what was put into this performance it was I think his best performance I've seen him in AEW thus far Hardy and Private Party did great jobs as heels uh highly emotional but uh, again highly entertaining match yeah, so sorry, the ending sequence was uh, the gin and juice got stopped with a Chicago skyline, and then they did an indie taker on Quen and Cabana used the Superman cover. Uh, excellent finish to this. Um, I-, I thought Colt was great uh, in this match. 13 minutes, 31 seconds. Um, you know, a you know, re- really fun six-man tag with, mm-hmm. with unusual partners here in Cabana with the Bucks. I really enjoyed that aspect of tonight's show. It was almost like... You know, on the one hand, yes, like, you know, babyface kind of heel boundaries and, and storylines were respected. But at the same time, it was like, um, they kind of weren't, 
Like it was almost like not with Cody and Ten. I mean, they talked about like this is one night only. This is these are the circumstances, but that was part of the kind of uniqueness of tonight. It's matches that we're probably not going to see these kinds of combinations and teams outside of uh, tonight. In in most cases, yeah. Like like this was a show that was bigger than the typical you know week to week storyline. This was a show you know all about again, the sense of family and this a sense of community. And it was almost like you were watching something that, you know, could have taken place behind closed doors, you know, amongst these people themselves. And, you know, the Dark Order could be nothing but the top baby faces on this show. Again, just in respect to, you know, the the the, the, the group that this guy led. Uh, Brody Jr. is showing in the front row in the suit and mask. Uh, it just all decked out here. Uh, then the acclaimed came out, and before they can uh, Max Caster can even deliver his rap, they get jumped by Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels, leading to super kicks delivered to the acclaimed and a bionic elbow uh, with Colt for the first time making the Dark Order symbol. So a uh, a continuation of of that story that's going to progress with uh, SCU and the Bucks teaming up next week uh, against the acclaimed and TH2 and. I mean, kind of identified, like, it's always been Dark Order and Colt Cabana. He's always clarified that he's not a member of Dark Order, and this kind of uh, was an indication of his his indoctrination to Dark Order. So can we call him Colt Cabana yet? Uh, That's pretty good. That took me a second there. I didn't... Sure, he's got a shirt. That's, That's kind of obvious. That should be the next one to come out. Darby Allen was the next uh, testimonial. He said that when Brody Lee arrived, he told Sammy Guevara, that's the guy he wants to wrestle. He was his number one choice to wrestle. He was a guy that had no ego, was willing to share knowledge with all the younger talent and just kind of put over like what a great addition this guy was to the roster. And this guy was amazing. Yeah, he says he's the number one man he wished he could have wrestled, which is um, heartbreaking, uh, but also shows you the the amount of like reverence, you know, um, the a, a, a younger generation had for him. Yeah, and like when I was thinking of like these two would have had a phenomenal match, like with their styles, it would have been outstanding. Mm-hmm. Lance Archer, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson versus Eddie Kingston, the Butcher, and the Blade. Uh, Archer comes out and he's decked out in the old Brody Lee, Luke Harper outfit with. Uh, the white, the white shirt, the the jeans, and really, oh, it was all really cool touch. Uh, not something I expected, but um, I, I thought I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Like everyone had like their own little tributes. Like there was a lot of purple on this show, mm-hmm. and like different spots that were incorporated into matches. It was like a lot of people just came up with their own little tributes, um, and there were just s- such a variety of them. Eddie Kingston said he loves Brody. I'm dedicating this match to you, and I'm going to prove the Dark Order is nothing without you, and just gets right into uh, the match, and you just know, get there was right gr- back into his uh, character. Well, there was a great moment where like he comes up with a mic, and the mic, for whatever reason, does not work, and the professional that he is does not panic and just sees Justin Roberts doing the announcement walks over to him like you know with a mean face as the heel that he is and just snags the mic away from Roberts and continues his promo without missing a beat so um that was awesome total pro Jericho compares Brody Lee to Owen Hart and Eddie Guerrero saying these were guys that no one had any bad word 
to say about. They were universally loved individuals in this industry. Um, I really liked Excalibur's contribution mm-hmm. here where he talked about uh, not just like with Evil Uno and working with Brody Lee on like when he would come up from upstate New York into Montreal, but also with uh, the Blade uh, coming mm-hmm. up in upstate New York, like just the, the, the independent connections that some of these guys had with, with Brody. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, so that's all these things that, you know, uh, if you're only a WWE viewer of his or just a WWE NAW viewer, you'd have no idea he had this history shared with so many people. Uh, Grayson hit a spinning Brody slam uh, onto Blade, and then they had the advantage on on Evil Uno. He hit a uh, half-and-half suplex onto Kingston, uh, another Brody uh, suplex spot. Archer then scales the top and does the moonsault onto Blade and then pounces Butcher. Kingston catches Grayson with a DDT for a near fall, and then Grayson lands a flying DDT to Butcher on the apron, and it's followed by Fatality, and it ends with Evil Uno getting the pinfall on Blade uh, spectacular ending. I thought Stu Grayson uh, especially just uh, showed a, a ton of great fire here. And then Uno and Grayson had a big hug, and they all take turns attacking Eddie Kingston, culminating with Jake Roberts hitting a short-arm clothesline onto Eddie. Yeah, Jake getting physical was something I absolutely did not expect and um, made for a big reaction live. And that was the other thing, too. This, Despite this being a... This was a live show, right? Live broadcast? Yeah. Like this it did not suffer from any of the kind of like lack of uh, crowd noise of maybe previous live broadcasts. Like this sounded very, very like uh, uh, active, you know, from the crowd. It, it sounded very full. It sounded very like good. And we got one take Jake here on live TV. He did well. He did great. Maybe Okada should be looking out. Maybe we got a. The rain snaker. Injury. Yeah, Kazu Jaka. Okay. <laughs> sounded good in my head. Uh, uh, you know, I kind of like uh, Lance Archer with this group. Like, they like Lance Archer was given a major spotlight here, and you could see, especially Jericho was like going above and beyond putting the spotlight on on Lance Archer. Like this was this was quite the uh, outing for for Archer uh, Grayson. Grayson is very underrated. Like he is consistently great. Um, we don't always see him uh, wrestling on dynamite, but yeah, I was with you. Like this really did click with Archer's uh, involvement. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's a reminder that um, Uno and Grayson uh, are, are, are tremendous babyface wrestlers and, you know, they get to like wrestle this style even as heels, but when they're doing it to elicit a positive reaction, it's, it, they are so incredibly effective. The next video uh, was full of uh, family photos uh, with Brody and his wife and two two sons. And we got comments from Dax Harwood, Arn Anderson, Colt Cabana, and Bryce Remsburg. And this was just heartbreaking. Oh, completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Bryce in total tears talking about how, you know, he, they they got a chance to reconnect after several years apart with uh, – the, them reuniting in AEW, but this time um, they they would only talk about family instead of wrestling, uh, and yeah, again, just real some real emotion that you got to see. Bryce shared this uh this great story and photo of the night that Brody arrived uh, back in March. Uh, Bryce like got like the the 
the old Chikara guys together. It was like uh, Orange Cassie was there. Brody was there. Maybe there was someone else. And they just sent a photo to Cesaro just with the text. Uh, we got him. That's awesome. <laughs> Great. Hangman Page, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds versus MJF, Santana, and Ortiz. At the beginning, MJF comes out with Santana and Ortiz in his new Puerto Rican trunks. <laughs> I just this was the, this was the funniest moment of of the night, and it was some some great levity on this show seeing MJF in these Puerto Rican trunks. So I think you know last week we saw that scene with him uh, with Santana, you know, of course talking about his his grandfather's passing and like wiping away those tears. That seemed to be incredibly like I, it was a very genuine moment for for the MGF character. But you and I like weren't really sure if that was supposed to be him just kind of like, um, you know, like kind of playing Santana or at least like trying to get in their good graces uh, in a disingenuous way. I, I, I've no doubt like what he said was completely genuine, but it certainly felt like tonight, you know, wearing these tights, going certainly overboard with like kissing up to proud and powerful it that seems to be the direction would you agree i think so like the idea i think is that okay he has been able to um indoctrinate himself with santana and ortiz they've taken him under their like they've accepted him now and that's that's his grand plan was to uh, get get their trust and then he you know he has a larger plan mm, right you know something i've also enjoyed them doing is that they've started adding picture in picture clips to uh, give you kind of context of some of the matchups that you're about to see in this case like they showed mjf pinning page from like a year ago in a match that i don't think anybody they did that tonight with with private party in the bucks going mm-hmm. back uh over a year they showed that tonight yeah like i mean these aren't even necessarily matches that are specifically relevant to any sort of storyline but i think they give some respect to like again the sporting aspect of it if this was you know like the bulls taking on I don't know, the Hornets or something like you would talk about, you know, the last time these two, these two teams met and just to give you a bit more kind of, con- I don't know, interest perhaps in the matchup. So it's something I've, I've like AEW, I don't think uses their like video pre-production elements enough and, and to be able to incorporate it in this fashion, I think adds to the show. Silver and Reynolds get into the ring. They open up their jackets to reveal the papers that they throw at Santana and Ortiz, this got a giant pop. And then Silver is in his outfit that was uh, gifted to him by Brody Lee. Yeah, replica of Brody Lee's tights, yes. Page starts the match with MJF, and it leads to a moment where Page brings out his own papers and throws them at MJF. MJF bails to the floor, and then he gets into the face of Brody Lee Jr. and uh, is just screaming at him. And that would play into uh, later. MJF then ducks away from a buckshot lariat. They get control of Page. And Silver receives the hot tag. And this guy was just the ultimate babyface in this match. And he was he was uh, Super Mario uh, after the mushroom and getting the flower. And the star. Probably got the star as well. This guy was hopped up on everything. 
<laughs> he delivered a senton off the apron, high cross Ortiz, sit-out powerbomb, then a Greco-Roman knuckle lock into a Canadian destroyer, followed by a suicide dive. Uh, this was right up there with that incredible sequence a few years ago from Cesaro on TV. MJF oh, yeah. finally cuts him off with the Heat Seeker, and Santana and Ortiz double-team. Reynolds makes the save. Wardlow gets involved, attacking Alex Reynolds when Eric Rowan runs down and choke slams Wardlow and takes him to the back. Just a great idea. And this was a, a genuine surprise and so perfect. I was shocked. Um, I think, you know, most people were. It was, you know, I, I don't know why I didn't think of it. It's like, you know, he's he's kind of out there. He's a free agent and um, on a show like this. Um, yeah, the perfect kind of like shocking um running uh i that that just like even made pauline like you know like my fiance who doesn't watch wrestling at all recognize the association and like even she like was you know remarked that this was wow what was happening it's like a crossing of universes so really cool ortiz is then hit with a stunner german suplex and buckshot but mjf puts his foot onto the bottom rope and then tears the mask of Negative one, and Brody Jr. pulls out a kendo stick and nails MJF with the kendo stick, and that takes out MJF. John Silver hits the discus lariat after twirling the mustache and pins Ortiz. Uh, the man was just broken down mm-hmm. uh, in tears afterwards. Rowan returns with a sign that reads, Goodbye for now, my brother. See you down the road. This This was just, man... Uh, such an emotional ending. Yeah, up until this point, certainly for me, the toughest part of the show thus far. Um, the combination of just seeing John Silver like really takes several moments, just like with his head buried in the mat after getting that pinfall, all this kind of like emotion just spilling out of him, and then seeing this giant man in Eric Rowan, um, with that message and himself like struggling to keep those tears flowing from his head like big dudes crying is always just like that always gets me it was uh man the the amount of like you know time that those two must have spent on the road together was is isn't yeah like i'm really glad he had a presence on this show Uh, it was it was a wonderful idea to think of that it was tremendous the way they did it here um that that smile on brody's face after he hit with the kendo stick i mean that was just great to see it was Um, you know, like initially you see MJF like messing around with the kid and it's like, it's uncomfortable, even in a pro wrestling context, even if you don't, what's about to come, it's somewhat uncomfortable. But then like you see the results, you see like, you see the the kid play along and, and get this great He was moment. so happy at the end, like getting to be involved like that on what's uh, probably been the most difficult week of his life. I, I thought... I thought it was a great thing that they did. And it takes, you know, a, a heel who is willing to commit to doing something very uncomfortable, like an MJF who, you know, never, ever breaks character to, uh, to, 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 to bring that moment out. And yeah, uh, successful on all fronts. Yeah. So this was a very, very heavy episode as we uh, continue to go through this. Um, Eddie Kingston was the next uh, video tribute. He said he's going to miss Brody Lee someone who believed in Eddie when he didn't believe in himself. And he tells their children that their dad isn't gone. He's a warrior who took care of his family. And 
that's something that that not all people uh do um so amazing was, like yeah a great speech uh again you know just like moxley uh, uh somebody who's incredibly eloquent and able to just like um yeah say say some really really touching words anna jay and ty conti versus uh brit baker and penelope ford uh conti was just throwing ford around holding on to her wrist and then baker nailed her with a knee strike allowing ford to hit a german uh rebel grabbed conti on the floor and wasn't sure where to place her on the apron. She went to put her on one place, then put her to the next. It was a setup for Ford. Then Anna Jay gets the tag, uh, who they noted that got the 99 number as a tribute to Wayne Gretzky. It's yes. Brody's idea. Huge hockey fan, yeah. Well, shouldn't it have been 93? I think so. I think so. I mean, that... That was one of the coolest things this week that not only did the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, tweet out their condolences, but Doug Gilmore tweeted about Brody Lee, which I can imagine that uh, would have been like the gr- the greatest honor that the killer himself, number 93, the man who went through those 92-93 uh, playoffs with a, with an ankle, shouldn't have even been on skates, and here he is. Uh- like did did he ever talk about why he wasn't a a a a, a, a Buffalo um, Sabers fan? I I don't know why, but I I was told like his favorite team was the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that you know uh, wrestling like hockey was just behind wrestling in terms of uh, you know the sports that he loved the most. But the Maple Leafs, I I don't know what drew him to that. Maybe it was just like the. I, I don't know. I don't know what uh, draws you to the Leafs over the, the Sabres. Well, because, I mean, think, think of the era that Brody Lee grew up. Like, this guy was born in 79. I mean, the, this guy probably, if he, as a child, I mean, that's the Ballard years. Like, this was the darkest of the dark times for uh, the Maple Leafs. But maybe he really got into those early 90s teams. Maybe it was, like, Doug Gilmore, Dave Andrichuk, uh Felix Potvin, Ken Manderville. Yeah. Absolutely. I could play this game all day. Dave Ellett. Nikolai Borshevsky. Okay. Yeah. Move on. Uh, Peter Jay get Jay gets the tag. She does the dark order sign and she is holding back tears. Baker attacks. There's a spinning neck breaker. Ford comes in, goes for a handspring, but gets caught in the queen slayer. Baker is taken out by Conti who then yanks rebel off the apron and Penelope Ford taps, uh, with Anna Jay getting the submission win. Huge spotlight match on Anna Jay, and I thought she did really well. Um, certainly a difficult performance under the circumstances, but I mean, like in the case of all the Dark Order members tonight, it made them all better. And then Shivani came into the ring uh, with Britt Baker, and she says it's a conspiracy. She says Anna Jay's rigged, Ty Conti is rigged, the whole thing is a big rig with a uh, wink to the camera of one of Brody Lee's many nicknames. And then Thunder Rosa jumped Britt Baker, attacking her, and that will set up a match uh, between those two in two weeks' time. Two weeks, yep. So we did do an angle here with uh, with the two of them. Uh, they laid out um, everything for the New Year's Smash shows, which will be over the next two weeks. So on next week's show, it's pretty much everything that was scheduled for tonight has been moved back a week. Snoop Dogg is here next week. It's Kenny Omega versus Ray Phoenix for the AEW title. John Moxley returns. Hikaru Shida versus Abaddon for the women's title. The Young Bucks, Daniels and Kazarian against the Acclaimed and TH2. 
Jake Hager versus Wardlow, Cody Rhodes versus Matt Seidel, and Chris Jericho on commentary. So does that, does that mean Snoop is not doing commentary? They have just promoted an appearance, but I imagine he'll be sitting in on commentary, at least at some point, which I know some are already hoping that we get Snoop Dogg calling Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix this year. Oh. I, sh- I should say next year. The next year, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, would that wh- – how would that qualify? Because, like, they would be taping that this week, but it airs next week. So where would that fall under? Oh, for best of and worst of, you mean? Yeah. Um, I Do we go with air date? I think we go by air date these days. Okay. Like, especially in the in the era of, like, pre-taped, like, what is it, cinematic matches? Like, I think right. you got to go by air date. In two weeks, they've announced Darby Allen and Brian Cage for the TNT title. That we had known. Miro versus Chuck Taylor, Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa, FTR against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, and Pac versus Eddie Kingston. So they pretty much loaded up the next two weeks. That I mean, that's pretty much uh, – they're pretty packed shows already. Yeah, um, both shows I'm looking forward to. They, they've, um, they've, they've always done well. Like anytime they put a lot of promotional effort into like these big shows. So, yeah. Let's see. And we've got the uh, the New Year's Evil special is next Wednesday night. So that will be going up against AEW. Both big shows. Yes. Mm-hmm. Chris Jericho did his video. Uh, he said he worked Brody Lee 27 times. And he knows that because Alex Marvez told him that stat today. And he told a story of when they were in Saudi Arabia together. He was in his hotel room and he was looking at the ceiling and there was some sticker on the ceiling. And the sticker was bothering him. This I don't know how this sticker could be so intrusive, but Brody Lee came in and he said, man, this sticker, what's up with this sticker? And he said, that's not a sticker. That's an arrow pointing to Mecca. And Jericho was dumbfounded that, how did you know this? And that was Brody Lee, a man that just had so much information and trivia at his disposal And Jericho said, I had a big hand in bringing Brody Lee to AEW because I believed in him and he proved this year that he could be a main event star. He also said his dog liked Brody Lee. His His dog dog hates everybody, but yes, loved Brody Lee. (laughs) So, I mean, there were some nice stories here that Chris Jericho wove in. The main event was the Brody Jr. six-man dream match with Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, and Powerhouse Hobbs against Brody Jr.'s three favorite wrestlers, Cody, Orange Cassidy, and 10, Preston Vance, in easily the biggest match of Preston Vance's career. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, what what an honor for Preston Vance. And how cool is it that Brody Jr. like has taste that is not just, you know, for uh the the most popular wrestler you know the most dominant wrestler like he's got some pretty like original independent views and uh Preston Vance 10 getting that kind of like n- number one nod, nod of like approval from him is so awesome yeah really great we should say uh, uh, he's negative one because it's because Brody is the exalted one Brody Lee senior is exalted one so they've called him negative one Yes, yes. Um, Cody is hugging Bryce Remsburg at the beginning. Uh, Jericho also mentions uh, Brody's other son, Nolan, who they explained, you know, would not be old enough to understand, but one day uh, we'll be able to go back and watch this. 
uh, to remember his father. Orange Cassidy came in. He teased a test of strengths with Hobbs, but then put the hands in the pockets. We go through the break. They had the advantage on Orange until Cody got the tag. Jericho believes that Ricky Starks reminds me a little bit of Dwayne Johnson. Don't you think, Jim Ross? So they're, they're setting the comparison bar very high for Ricky Starks. Might be the haircut. Could be. Uh, 10 did a signal to the sky before hitting a Brody bomb. Then Hobbs runs through Cassidy. Cage hits a flatliner onto Cody. Arn and Taz are on the outside and both have chairs. And after we saw Jake get physically involved, I think all bets were off if we were going to get a throwdown with Arn and Taz in 2020. But then Orange hits the Orange Punch and a crossroads is delivered to Ricky Starks. Uh, But the big finishing spot is... Courtesy of 10, who hits a spine buster, and Bryce Remsburg counts three, and 10, Preston Vance, pins Ricky Starks and gets the big spotlight. Cody was so happy for Preston Vance after this this win. It felt, yeah, very much like, you know, um, incredibly major moment for him, you know, because as Jericho would say, who knows if he'll ever be in the main event again. Uh, it, I... I, I I love just seeing like special moments for performers. Like this is part of the reason why like I I think I I enjoyed like even the Ultimate Fighter so much cuz uh, you know like every match was such a big moment for every person. And in wrestling so often we see the same matchups over and over and over again and you can see it in the performers. This is not a special match. There's nothing different or memorable about this one compared to any other match that they might have, you know, throughout the year. But, like, um, this show is a very special circumstance. But even, like, in AEW's ability to book brand-new talent, certainly, like, anytime you had a TNT Open Challenge with somebody who wasn't on the roster, who was just getting a, a big tryout, like, I was, I'm always captivated for those types of matches because, you know, in reality, this is, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest match of the man's career. So uh, this was one of those moments for... Preston Vance, 10, uh, very entertaining match. And, uh, I, you know, I, with 13 minutes left on the show, I was wondering what was going to fill the rest of it. Well, before we, uh, went to break team Taz made their comeback, attacking the baby faces, including hook suplexing orange Cassidy. Pretty nice suplex. from Hook. Very nice suplex. I feel like this, Will we get Hook and Orange Cassidy? As the match? Um, maybe. Perhaps so. It's a big by role Hooker for by Hook. Crook. That's got to be his finish. Ooh. It's, I think that's a big role for Hook. I mean, like, if somebody going up against Orange Cassidy, I think needs to be of a certain, um, needs to have a certain ability to really, like, do, you know, no pun intended, like, the bulk of the heavy lifting for a match like that. I wonder if that's a little too much. Oh, just get, announce it. And then we get like three weeks of promos from Taz. Yeah. You, you orange pulp motherfucker. <laughs> Stole his color. Did we, did we not forecast this yeah. orange Cassidy Taz uh, feud uh, months ago? And we, we kind of going in that direction. If like hook was specifically given the suplex spot to orange here. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, cage powerbomb Cody. And then the lights go out. Darby Allen's music plays and he comes out from the from the uh from the stands but then the lights go out a second time and it's Sting 
a gigantic pop, and it's Excalibur who takes the it sting line. Snuck it away from Tony. Kind of hard to do your job, though, if you can't say it's Sting when the guy comes out. Well, there's uh, the guy. (laughs) It happens to be Steve (laughs) Borden. (laughs) Hey, that's that's our team now. What? Borden. Oh, like Alan and Borden together? Mm. No, I'm saying, like, skateboarding. Oh, (laughs) Borden. That's great. Uh, Darby's got Brody written over his face paint and Excalibur. Okay, this this was the silliest part of the show. We watched like they actually did close ups of the of the snow machine shooting out this snow, like a direct cut establishing this machine that sends out the snow. And then we go to Team Taz, who are selling the snow and how cold it is. <laughs> this this was the silliest moment with Ricky Starks, like, shivering and, like, contorting himself from the cold snow. Well, it could still be cold, even if it's from a machine. I mean, it, like, isn't a snow machine just, like, don't they use, like, blocks of ice? Um, I, I, I don't know how cold this would have been. Um... I don't know if it was just confetti. Like, it could have been, you know, real kind of, like, chips of cold, like, uh, ice. Well, I, I, th- I thought Team Taz's uh, response to this was uh, rather amusing. Um, and they explained Team Taz is upset that it's cold. And they just had a big stare down here with the baby faces in the ring, uh, with, with Cody, Preston, Orange, Sting, and Darby Allen. What a what a five man team. Uh yeah, quite quite the roster of babyface. And it was five on five here if you include Taz and Hook here with uh Team Taz. Five on five, right. The final segment um was their tribute for Brody Lee. Uh Cody is in the ring. He uh quoted Samuel Johnson of how you can judge someone's character by how they treat someone that can't do anything for them. And he says that uh, he talked about all the positivity that Brody provided this locker room and everybody. And he welcomes negative one Brody Jr. to come out. And Brody walks out with his mother, Amanda, and they have Brody's boots. And they place them in the middle of the ring. And Tony Khan presents the TNT championship to Brody Jr. And names him the TNT champion for life as Brody Lee was the greatest TNT champion with all due respect to Cody. Yeah. Uh, I I thought they would end the show with the match. And um, instead ending it with something like this was. Uh, I think going to like for me like the extra mile in. In just. Um, I don't know focusing on not just the man but his family. And again to alleviate some of the pain that you know they're, they're going through right now. Uh, th- these are some memories that you know, they'll all remember for the rest of their lives. And um, I, I can't think of a better way to spend your airtime than doing something like that. It was it was such a touching tribute. Um, the entire episode really was. And then they closed it off with a, with a video for Brody Lee, just with all these uh, highlights and photos of his family, old footage. They even had, you know, uh, shots of him with the Wyatt family. Um, 
It was a wonderful video to end. It was an incredibly, incredibly emotional show. Slideshows, man. Damn. Those damn slideshows. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like giving some presence to, you know, everybody who might have been involved in this guy's life from the independence to, of course, AEW, but also to, to WWE. And I imagine plenty of WWE roster members also watching tonight's show with, with tears. Um, it was uh, some of the most powerful television I've, I've seen. Um, so uh, not even really a show like, you know, we could really create or rank it, but um uh, I, I would say it's, as far it's, as... it's a show you you will never forget if if you watched it it was uh totally you know its own um episode that you can't compare it to uh any any other dynamites and of course you know the the others being you know when we have had tributes for the likes of Owen Hart Eddie Guerrero um you know this was just I I, th- I think a really great thing that these all of these people were able to have this to focus on this week, to go out there, to honor this person, uh, but do so with um, a a very, very heavy heart. Um, I I couldn't imagine going through with this and all credit to the uh, broadcasters for these two hours. Like these ones were as close as anyone and they had to call this for two hours. And I imagine that was a difficult task. Oh, completely. Especially for some of them who would have to go on to call dark after this as well. Probably still calling dark at this very moment mm-hmm. <laughs> as we're recording this. Uh, but we should also mention like this was a late change from Tony Khan. Like uh, I believe Dave Meltzer said like he was having some conversation with Tony Khan about it all. And then like Tony just kind of tore up the script for that week and last minute booked this whole thing. Um, and absolutely the right call. Um they should be very proud of this show. Everyone involved with this should be so proud of these two hours, what they did for uh, Brody Lee's family. Um, well, for wrestling I, fans I, at large. Yes. I yeah. think everyone um, needed a show like this after, you know, this news. But most importantly, uh, the family, I think, really, you know, just seemed like they were – they very much wanted this as well. So I, I can't say enough good things about – you know, th- these two hours, it was awful circumstances, but man, it was, it was very tough to watch just, uh, but I, I knew that all day, this was going to be a really tough show to watch. And it was. So, uh, I said that we can't really create a judge, but I, I didn't even really think about that as I put the poll up. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, out of 10, the board gave this the highest rating as, uh, some might expect. Wait a minute. Can we, can we give this show a Preston Vance? Oh, a minus one. Oh, sorry. I pressed them down. Preston Vance is 10, way. Yeah, sorry. I got the names mixed up. Um, a Preston Vance? Uh, about as close as you can get. It's a 9.73. So uh, let's round up and say, yes, it is. A Preston Vance. All right. Let's uh, read this feedback. Andy from London. I'm very grateful to have been able to join to enjoy John Huber's work over the past decade as both Luke Harper and Brody Lee. His TNT title win over Cody is one of my all-time favorite moments in wrestling TV history, something I will always remember. All involved tonight should be immensely proud of the show. I hope it's a night that the Huber family will cherish forever and can be a small step in their healing process. We go to McGuire who says, In doing what they've done, AEW has shown a ton of respect for not only their roster and staff, but their fans as well. They didn't attempt to hide the reality of the situation or the emotional toll that the grieving process was having on the wrestlers. It was like an episode of Fresh Prince. 
I lost my father when I was eight years old. The lengths they are going to make Brody Jr. feel included and welcomed is a special sort of kindness. They're really making a difference in the kid's life. It's wonderful to see him be able to smile and laugh during such tragic circumstances. A 10 out of 10. Yeah, I, I thought that was really wonderfully handled. And um, yes, and very sorry for your loss uh, as well, McGuire. Um, Mark writes, a beautiful celebration for a great human being. Everything people are saying about him is true. He touched countless people over the last 15 years. Um, uh, for background here, Mark is uh, an independent uh, wrestling promoter that has uh, worked with Brody Lee in the past. Uh, he goes on to say, the kind of guy who as recently as August, he gave his time to help raise funds, over $80,000 for our annual Fighting Back Wrestling with Cancer fundraiser for the Canadian Cancer Society, this year as an online-only fundraiser. A man who just wanted to help his friends and those he worked with before making it. And some he continued to work to, to, to the end. He remembered people along the way on his journey from the Indies all the way to where he ended up. He was a good man, a real person in a business that far too often celebrate those who were the complete opposite. Brad, the archivist. Guys, tonight I just broke down. I was crying in every segment. Being a father of two boys myself this last week has been hard. I just can't imagine not being able to see my boys grow into men. Brody sounds like the father we should all strive to be. Bryce Remsburg's comment about him being on the Mount Rushmore of Wrestling Fathers was so touching. I'm happy AEW did all this for Brody and his family. I actually feel so much better after watching that. Yeah, completely. I would... uh Echo a lot of the sentiments Brad uh, said throughout this week. Anthony, I haven't felt this heartbroken watching a wrestling show since Eddie Guerrero passed away. I personally can't rate this show because I just can't put a rating on uh, what is a memorial. Yeah, um, noted. We got Andrew from Cape Breton. There were certain beats tonight on the show that were slightly uncomfortable for a tribute show, but when you remember this show is pretty much done for an eight-year-old, it makes more sense. The heat spots with the acclaimed and NJF seemed to be done for the sole purpose to get Brody Jr. involved. The one thing I noticed was the smile on his face after he whacked MJF. So it seemed AEW was able to do more storyline elements because quite, because quite frankly, this might be what he would like to see being a massive wrestling fan. I've been watching Brody since 2007 and seeing longtime friends, rivals, and the end tribute with some pictures from WWE wrestlers, it really showed how much he was loved. Our next one here is from Richard. This was a tough one to watch, but AEW did everything right with this one. The emphasis on the Dark Order, the surprise of Eric Rowan, and just total emotion throughout the show. You can't put a rating on this one. Uh, that's from Rich in Winnipeg. We've got a Jake from the Windy City who says, Tremendous tribute should make you cry and laugh, make you grieve and reminisce. Seeing his son laid down his wrestling boots in the middle of the ring while his father's entrance song is playing for the final time and Tony Khan handing him the TNT Championship, the very last championship belt his father won. It was very beautiful. I cannot imagine a better tribute show than the one AEW just did. Moments that tug at your heartstrings and others that made you smile from ear to ear. Great job by everyone in putting that together. No other brotherhood is well connected like a wrestling family. Rest in peace, Brody. Noah from Vaughn. As someone that didn't watch wrestling until 2009, I really had no prior experience of watching someone I looked up to in wrestling passing away in the middle of their career. Brody Lee's passing was just so tragic, and I cannot applaud AEW enough for the perfect tribute show tonight. Major props to all the performers for going out there tonight, and all the matches were fantastic. A 10 out of 10 show, if there ever was one. Stevie says, this was an amazing way to honor and celebrate a life. An emotional roller coaster of an episode that had me in tears many times. My only complaint or question would be 
overexposing, are we overexposing Hook? The kid looks like he is in high school still and makes Dominic Mysterio look as charismatic as Ric Flair. We've barely seen him do anything. I mean, he's been very, very slowly introduced, I would say. Like, today, tonight was like the most notable thing he did, and it was one spot. Uh, Scrump from Pro Wrestling Tees. I'm not a man that's afraid to cry. I talk about it being okay to cry. So as... So as to break the stigma that men shouldn't cry, and I genuinely thought I could keep it together for this show. Yet there I was with red eyes as if I had just hung out with Braden Harrington. What an awesome show filled with so many emotional gut punches that include the po- that post-show with Silver and Rowan. And now that the cat is out of the bag, the Brody Lee Memorial shirts crushed the record for most shirts sold in a 24-hour period previously held by Sting in two hours. On top of that, on top of what equates to a three-day sales worth of Brody shirts, that we're already that that we were already working on. It's awesome to see the outpouring of support for Brody and his family. Uh, so that is a uh, fantastic news that they've been able to raise uh, so much for the family in such a short amount of time since those shirts went on sale. Thanks for that bit of info, Scrum. Uh, we got a Luke from Quebec who says, I honestly didn't think I'd get that sad considering that wasn't someone I knew personally. But when an emotional Eric raised that sign as Silver cried on the floor, I teared up. I was actually surprised how they were able to create matches that showcase Dark Order while still advancing and staying true to the current storylines and feuds. This was a class act show by AEW and hopefully a cathartic moment for all these performers we enjoy. As good of a show as it was, here's hoping we don't get anything like this again for a solid decade. And the last one is from Raymond, a perfect tribute to a wonderful man that had a positive impression and impact on everyone he came in contact with. I cannot imagine a better tribute to his life from his peers and the company his career ended with. A beautiful, exceptional, unforgettable night. Top marks all around. And that is all of our feedback uh, for tonight's show. So thank you for everyone for for sharing all of your thoughts and about the show and Brody Lee by extension. Um, Wait, you have any uh, closing thoughts? Do you want to uh, go over just uh, a couple of uh, news items before we get out of here? Sure. Let's do some news. So uh, just catching up on a few notes, uh, SmackDown from Friday, uh, as we had suspected, uh, it ended up doing a huge number. Uh, they had a lead-in uh, from the NFL that did 11.5 million viewers. Um, if you include the – it was also simulcast on the NFL Network. If you include that, it was over 20 million watching that game. Uh, so SmackDown finished with 3,303,000 viewers, a .96 in the demo, uh, only behind the NFL and NBA uh, that day on network television, and their second highest number ever since moving to Fox, uh, trailing the debut show that had The Rock. So a big number, and – that does kind of go into uh, this raw number this week, which you know did did better than I thought, and I don't really have any clear explanation. But one of them, uh, do you put any credence into you know SmackDown doing such a big number that Raw gained something as, as a result of that, or do you think that both are not correlated? It's hard for me to suddenly see a connection this week. Um... When previously I I don't get the sense that that really existed. Um, what, Raw had Raw had nothing going for it. Like there was nothing that they were promoting all weekend beyond the Orton Alexa stuff. The matches weren't announced till very late in the day, and you know it it held up a lot better than I thought it would, especially um, given the fact we're not coming off a pay per view. 
there wasn't anything big going on. Um, so I, I don't know, but Raw, it was it was their best number since the night after the Survivor Series. So it's not even like it's uh, just topping, like you know, it's their their best number in over a month. Was there any change in competition that you're aware of? I mean, we're we're talking about uh, lesser competition from you know regular programming, but the NFL, um, it, it it was a it was an enormous NFL game they went against because uh, the Bills and Patriots was on both ESPN, like always, but also on ABC. So you had 14.4 million people watching the NFL game. So it's not like they had an easy night uh, football-wise. Yeah, I mean, your guess would be as good as mine. I'm sure that uh, if you really dug into perhaps some of the stats and minute-by-minute minute numbers, maybe there's an answer, but I, I'm not smart enough to give it. They, they were up. Uh, 4.5% in viewers, uh, only down 2% in their main demo, uh, which was the 18 to 49 figure, which was a 0.52. So they were third for the night on cable. Uh, males were up. Uh, males 12 to 34 were up 19% this week, and it was their best number in that category since October 19th, uh, while women were down. Uh, women 18 to 49 did fall 15%, and women 12 to 34 were down 9.5%. So... Uh, overall, it was a good number for Raw, although the third-hour drops were still sizable. Um, we were talking like double-digit drops in everything except for their over-50 audience, which held up the best. They were only down 9% in the third hour. Last week, we had that giant tune-out by that older demo that, where the first to third-hour drop was 25%, so it wasn't uh, – it, it recovered somewhat this week. So that was the Raw figure, and – other notes we have, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers will be on Impact next week on January 5th, uh, coming out of their best of shows the past two weeks. Uh, they have also announced the addition of Deanna Perrazzo versus uh, Taya Valkyrie for the Hard to Kill pay-per-view for the Knockouts title. That's coming up January 16th. And way after we went through these best of shows, and wh where where do you sense the, uh, the level of intrigue for the Kenny Omega Dynamite Impact? Um, storyline that's that's going on right now do you think that impact needs to do something to revitalize things do you think that it's it's riding a good wave going into this pay-per-view that's going to be the ultimate destination what's your thoughts on where the omega story stands i certainly think like after the first week and the buzz surrounding it i i sense uh, a dwindling interest in people wanting to watch tuesday's impact itself um but I do think by the time the pay-per-view comes around, Kenny Omega being in a match, reunited with the Good Brothers, and really just the promise of a Kenny Omega match on pay-per-view outside of AEW, I think that you'll see some interest start to pick up that weekend. But um, I've been somewhat disappointed in that we've, you know, the, the, the segments that you get to see of Kenny with Don Callis or Tony Khan and Tony Schiavone appearing on Impact have been tremendously entertaining um, but it's felt very one-sided thus far this feud. So they ha there have been promises or at least teases of, you know, uh, Tony Khan scouting members of the Impact roster. I think once you get the answer from Impact on AEW television, you will start to see this pick back up. But for the moment, it definitely is maybe, you know, uh, certainly less than maybe the first week. Yeah. Do you... I do think the pay-per-view is going to do, by impact standards, do well. I I think that that is still intriguing to people to get a Kenny Omega match on on pay-per-view. But I think like your 
your relative definition of uh, of well is kind of by impact standards. Like the, this is not going to be, I think, a gigantic pay per view, but um, yeah, yeah, we will see what happens. Uh, it's it's more interesting of what is coming out of that. What is the the next chapter of this? This is sort of you're going to get the match in an Impact Ring featuring Kenny Omega, and does that lead to a match with Rich Swan beyond this and Impact talent going back to AEW? I guess that's where people's interest lies. Yes. And the last story here, the UFC, after a big year away, they have announced Conor McGregor's coming back on January 23rd. Pay-per-view prices are going up. We're moving from $64.99 a show to $69.99 on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, they did this exact same thing, like exact, one year ago, right before McGregor was to come back and fight Donald Cerrone. They ESPN Plus increased the price to sixty four ninety nine. So now they're increasing it another five bucks. And who determines the price increases? ESPN. This is ESPN. Right. Um. So I will predict that everyone is going to complain about this. Everyone's going to say that it's way too much. This is ridiculous. And everyone's going to buy this pay per view on January twenty third. Sure. Yeah. Um. I think. Man, I remember when the UFCs were like 30-something. I sound so old. Oh, back in my day. <laughs> UFCs were only 30 bucks. But, um, you know, when you have a star as big as Conor McGregor that everybody will be able to, you know, would, would probably uh, be willing to pay to see even like, what do you think is the ceiling realistically, you know, for a Conor McGregor pay-per-view to be able to, to uh, go for? Price-wise? Yeah. Well, we already know. Um, How much was the Floyd uh, one? Floyd and Connor was oh god, I don't know because Floyd and Manny was a hundred, and everyone just gasped at that, and it did the all time record. So that's where I've said like, if you have the right fight, I don't know what the ceiling is. I I want to say Connor and Floyd again. It was based on whatever provider you had. I want to say that was about seventy five. So I mean, clearly, like. They're going to keep, you know, inching this thing up like fight sports and uh, combat sports, pay-per-views, maybe not wrestling, but like, you know, when it comes to boxing, um, these, it's not unusual to pay that much for one single fight. And I think they're looking at when they did this last year way. I mean, that fight with Connor and Cerrone ended up doing 1.3 million buys was the latest total for this is ESPN plus we're talking the latest number, like this is 11 and a half million subscribers on Disney, uh, on ESPN plus. So it's not even like the old pay-per-view universe. Um, I, the question is, it's not so much the January 23rd card. It's this price point for all UFC pay-per-views and the smaller ones. We're probably not going to hear those numbers. We'll, we'll hear when they do big numbers, but you know, the indications are, you know, UFC had a number of big shows this past year. And that was with, a $5 increase a year ago, and now it's another $5 increase. What is the breaking point for people? I don't think it's going to be felt in January, but when you move into a, a lesser show, when you've got, you know, throw out a name uh, headlining, uh, is that going to be, is 70 just going to be, okay, I'm not, sh- I'm not shelling this out every month. Everyone's going to have a different breaking point and, you know, they'll see if they, if they hit it or not. But traditionally you move the price up it's it's not going to decrease your business. Yeah, especially if it's a small increment, you know, like five. Um, just a bit of research here. It seemed like the Connor Floyd fight was eighty nine ninety five. Okay, for, for standard definition, 
and then 90, oh standard so it was hd was 100 95 for high hd yeah wow i don't i didn't remember it being 100 i remembered the floyd and manny one being 100 but well there you go and that was the second biggest pay-per-view in history so the two highest pay-per-view buys in history uh headlined by floyd uh were also the most expensive how how far what 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 card are we going to need to get a you know three figure pay per view charge? <laughs> well, l- let me ask you this: What is th- throwing out? Uh, uh, whatever. I'll th- I'll throw in Floyd because he's the only boxer I think that that could a- be able to charge that. What would be a fight that could get away charging a hundred dollars right now that would do very successful business? Um, I think boxing is a totally different beast. Like if you're a boxing fan, you're probably a lot more used to paying like these crazy amount of prices for a single night than maybe an MMA fan. So I'm really the wrong person. It wouldn't be, I I don't think way like in boxing and granted, I'm not following boxing day to day. Like it would be Floyd. And I don't know if there's an opponent in boxing right now that you could do that. Like it would have to be like one of these ridiculous, uh, fights. (laughs) Well, that that one probably is not. But like like Floyd and Logan Paul, I mean, they're doing that weird pricing structure, which, again, like they're offering it now to offer it at such a discounted amount when I mean, this to me shows like you could charge an incredible amount for that fight. Maybe that one you don't go 100 with, but there's going to be enough people that would spend, I think, $70 on that fight come February when they do that fight. Well, what's the biggest dream match that's out there right now that hasn't happened yet? OK, if they did. Because they like this has been you know very much teased publicly is doing Manny Manny Pacquiao and Conor McGregor could that have the the same level of I I don't I don't think that one's coming close to what Conor and Floyd did but mm-hmm. would that be one where you you could get away with such a high price point um, especially with the precedent of what a Conor boxing fight cost in the past I mean I think it would certainly be success successful I don't it would not be as successful as the Floyd fights. Um, can you get away with it? Sure you can. Yeah, why not? Like, it's a match that I think everybody will, for the most part, um, every, a lot of people will want to see. That would be a very bad night for Conor McGregor. Very bad. I don't think that one would go the way of Well, we thought fight. the Floyd match was going to be really a, be a really bad night for him. Uh, I don't know if people were necessarily expecting him to get knocked out. And I think you had enough of the curiosity because of Conor. We had not seen him box before. Um, I think most people realize what this fight was going to be. Um, but the idea of, you know, Manny Pacquiao is not going to be taking any rounds off, but anyway, uh, so, so it will not shock me if that fight happens. Well, another question coming off of all this is, you know, you see the UFC or at least ESPN raising UFC prices. Um, what is, how does WWE or even AEW, how do they respond with do they respond? Can they respond with their pay-per-view pricing? And Well, yeah. It's it's a great point because what the UFC and ESPN Plus is learning is that all all, all those years and years of pay-per-view is this dying industry. I mean, they're finding that especially this past year, if we have a fight people want, the the ceiling is that much higher. And I mean, WWE getting out of the pay-per-view business, it's I I think Everyone can look back like it was a decision that I they put all of their eggs into the WWE network. And fair enough, like they believed like we are getting ahead of this curve and the streaming platform. We we are putting our biggest tool in it in WrestleMania. But you left a ton of revenue on the table 
of like WrestleMania once a year, I think would have been, would still be like a very prized property that, that people would be, that would be your one show of the year to buy. And UFC is showing that if you have that show that the public wants, uh, the price is only going to go up. I, I think even like prior to all of this, like even this past WrestleMania, I feel like there are uh, very like loud rumblings that um, WWE could be, you know, um, they could be monetizing WWE in other ways. And I, I certainly feel like they will pro- at least we'll probably hear a, few, a little bit more about that heading into WrestleMania season this year. Um, and I also think that they wouldn't lose anybody, you know, if they took NXT off of the network and the numbers still really hold up. And in fact, NXT hasn't dented that number at all. Like the, the network did better this year. Um, I don't think the loss of WrestleMania will, will affect them at all. Like if you're a a network subscriber at this point, you're probably, it's not just that once a year that you're tuning in for, it's probably the weekly paper or what is it? Monthly pay-per-views. It's the occasional takeover and maybe just access the, to the archive at this point. Um, I don't think with the loss of one month, it, it'll probably prevent them from like getting a, a number of, um, what is it? Extra, uh, people, but you know, is that worth sacrificing your potential pay-per-view buys that you might get out of mania? Yeah. And I mean, this, this lesson here is that like UFC has been an, an enormous help for ESPN plus. I think number one, it's ESPN plus being bundled with Disney plus, but the UFC has helped grow this thing significantly um, with, with Conor McGregor. Now, like last year, that was that was a massive fight that they were able to put on ESPN plus last year. And if you're a streaming service out there and we know that the WWE is willing to shop these pay-per-views around like this is telling you that they are looking for content that is going to drive subscribers to their services. And WWE becomes very attractive. If you're a competing service looking for available content out there, that is not UFC. So if the idea is to, you know, possibly shop it to a streaming service so that they can charge a more, you know, ask their audience to, to pay more for this premium content. Well, why wouldn't WWE do that on their own? Leave it on the network, but say, if you want to watch WrestleMania, it's $50 extra or however much extra. I think what they want is, I think they have, they have a belief that it's very hard to put the the toothpaste back in the tube now on their own service to just charge people for that. Um, and, and maybe they don't have a confidence that would work. The guarantee is that, you know, an Amazon Prime pays stupid money to have the rights to their pay-per-views or at least to WrestleMania. And then that's on Amazon prime to sell this thing and get their subscribers on board. We've got a guaranteed amount, no matter what WrestleMania does. Mm-hmm, sure. But you know, does something like this, like with, with the uh, UFC success, I guess you could say like, um, does it, would it give them any confidence? Would it give UFC themselves any confidence in the future when this deal runs out? to take this whole thing in house and just charge for pay-per-views on fight pass. I I think this is a great deal that UFC has with, with ESPN because there's, they they are like the reason they got out of the pay-per-view business is because they were able to eliminate like the, the risk that comes with, if we don't have a a great pay-per-view this month, like they get a guaranteed amount, no matter what they put out there. And then like, it's, 
it's like if if a fight falls apart, it's like we put out this pay-per-view, ESPN Plus is paying us a guaranteed amount. And we know from the get-go, it's like a sold show. If you're you're selling it to an outside promoter, it's like you know how much money's coming in, and then it's on them to market and sell it. And it's just it's a lot less of the uh, turbulence that comes with the the month to month of promoting a pay-per-view and if if something bombs, if that affects, you know, your you, you had earmarked that we we were we were budgeting for two hundred and fifty thousand buys. It came in at one hundred and eighty five. We had this big shortfall. Well, it's it's great if we can guarantee that twelve months of the year we're getting paid this amount per month based on these buys. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very it's interesting to watch. But I, I think like this is going to prove that I don't think UFC is going to suffer at all for their big shows uh, with this price increase, and it's it's more revenue that's going to be coming in for ESPN Plus as a result of this. So there you go. That is all of our news to uh, get through and we'll wind down the show. I guess this is our final time we will speak to you in 2020. We will be releasing the free version of our best of 2020 show on Thursday. So if you are not a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you can listen to that on Thursday. That will be available on our main feed and you can uh, find that through the site. And then Friday, wait. YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash post wrestling. Subscribe. You'll never miss a show. You never know what's going to pop up there. But how are we going to kick off 2021 on Friday? Well, next week, of course. Man, it does not feel like it, but we are entering Wrestle Kingdom week. We are really just one, two, three, four, five, four and a half days away from Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, so to get you all caught up on storylines and previewing all the matches will be myself. John Pollock and WH Park are our Wrestle Kingdom 15 primer going through every single match over both nights, Monday and Tuesday for uh, all of you on this side of the world. Um, So that'll be released on Friday morning, New Year's Day. New Year's Day, uh, a big primer for both Wrestle Kingdom shows. And then Way and I uh, will sneak in a episode of Rewind to SmackDown on Saturday that will be available for for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, if you are considering jumping on to join the cafe, wait until Friday. The first of the month uh, is when you'll get a uh, build, and then you get the entire month, uh, which will include the both Wrestle Kingdom shows on Monday and Tuesday that we'll be doing right after the show's conclusion. It will include live access to not just Rewind to SmackDown every Friday night, but also the live Worst of show coming up on January the 12th. Bonus shows every Tuesday. So if you're going to join the cafe, we have a lot of cool stuff coming up in the month of January. And if you decide to upgrade to either Double Double, Ice Cap, or Espresso Tears, we will be beginning our live Rewind of Raw and Rewind of Dynamite reviews starting next week. So, in man, on Monday after I don't know how I don't know how we're doing Monday and Tuesday after John and I have would have just watched Wrestle Kingdom done our review, stayed up, uh, maybe take a take a nap, and then we would cover Raw. You can see us uh, in a pretty sleep deprived state, potentially as we head into the next. A uh, couple hours worth of Wrestle Kingdom night two, so uh, yeah, you it, it should be interesting, and you can uh, join us live if you're a double double ice cap or a special patron. Do you have a plan for how you're you're doing this? Like, what is your you know sleeping schedule like Sunday night going into Monday? Oh God, my sleep schedule has just been awful lately. Like I, I've been, it's been difficult for me to get more than like four or five hours straight anyway. So 
I imagine frequent naps throughout the day whenever I can fit them in. What about you? Uh, it's now that we're close to it, it's very daunting. My my plan is I'm going to sleep very early on Sunday and then wake up. This show is what at three in the morning. Yeah, I believe three a three a.m. and two a.m. for East Coast. Okay, for for like between the two nights. Oh, okay, gotcha. So that is the plan uh, to watch it live, do the show with you, then probably sleep at some point during the day on Monday. I hope before Raw, and then I'm just gonna do Raw the show after with you, and go right through Wrestle Kingdom and do another show with you. That. That will be the crazy stretch. So the thing we did kind of like talk about on the primer was that these are potentially shorter Wrestle Kingdoms. They're six, five matches, something like that. And we'll see, man. That that first night when, when I was looking at that and we've got Okada Osprey followed by Naito and Ibushi. Like those are going to be I, I would be stunned if those if either is under 25. Unless there are restrictions that we don't know about. You know where they do have, to it, keep them and short. then it's going to be the undercard that's going to get the the short end of that stick. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, the the show length will be notable. Like it's, I think uh, it would be wise to delay it a little if 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 you're concerned, John, because there's bound to be an intermission. You know, maybe even will yeah. there be an intermission? There has to be. Like they they, they do have to, to clean sanitize. the ring, right? Yeah, yeah, they have to sanitize the ring. So. Oh, we will see. It'll it'll be quite the uh, the forty eight hour period of uh, covering these shows. I, I am not watching New Year's Dash live. That one will be watched later in the day. Yeah, sounds good. All right, that's it, everyone. Uh, thank you for all of the support, downloads, comments, feedback, insults, whatever you sent our way in two thousand twenty. Uh, it's been a. I, I feel redundant. Everyone has noted. Yeah, it's been a crazy year. We know. Thank you for uh, sticking around making us a small part of your day uh, throughout the year. And that is it. Good night, everyone. And we will speak with you in the new year.